Okay, Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. We express our praise and gratitude to Allah Ta'ala. We seek blessings upon the Prophet, may peace be upon him. And now we are looking at Surah Al-Fil, which is Surah number 105, through Ma'arif Al-Qur'an, inshallah. The floor is yours. Alrighty, Bismillah. Um, so the commentator uh, begins... Uh, by discussing how Surat al-Fil is actually referring to the people of the elephant who had the intention of coming in with an army um, of elephants to destroy the Kaaba. Um, but the plan didn't take place. And the reason for that is because Allah destroyed them with a flock of, of ordinary birds. And traditions say that this event took place the year which the Prophet, peace be upon him, was born. So 570. Yeah, and yeah, and then the scholars um, have noted this type of event as a marjiza or a miracle. Um, and the background story of the people of the elephant uh, begins in Yemen. Um, so Yemen at the time was under control of the Himyar, who were a group of people who worshipped idols. Um, and their king was specifically an enemy of any people who worshipped God rather than idols. Um, most scholars actually note that he killed about 20,000 Christians simply for worshiping God, um, and he did so by bur bur burning them alive. Um, and the scholars mention how the story is referred to in Surah Al-Buruj, um, Surah 85, and specifically Ayahs 4 through 7, uh, where God condemns those people who have actually ordered believers to be put in the fire. Um, and while this king was was burning uh, Christians for their faith, two men actually eventually escaped and they went to take refuge in Syria, um, specifically with Caesar. And eventually um, the Himyad were invaded and the whole country was, was freed. Um, and the leader that would actually be the one who like, would order the burnings of Christians, he actually drowned when he was trying to escape. Um, and so eventually there was a governor who was appointed as the new leader of Yemen. Um, and this governor built this huge cathedral in the area. And the reason for this is because he wanted to attract people to this cathedral rather than going to the Kaaba. Um, and he actually noted that people should refer to Astaghfirullah, this cathedral is the new Kaaba. Um, and eventually the, when the people of Mecca heard this, they were really upset because even though they were I, idol worshipers, they had a lot of reverence for the Kaaba and the religion of uh, the prophet Ibrahim. And so the tribes of Mecca um, were very upset and there were like a few different stories that were told uh, one in which like one night somebody actually went into the cathedral and defecated it and then there were other narrations that there was like a fire that was started nearby um, and the cathedral eventually caught fire um, and so when the new leader um, heard about like the fr frustration of like the people in Mecca he swore he would march to the Kaaba and destroy it by by stone and he sent a very strong elephant and an additional eight elephants as reinforcement. And on their way to Mecca, they would actually fight different tribes and they would like defeat them. And when um, this leader reached the people of Ta'if, 
they wanted to actually please him. So I thought this was very interesting foreshadowing in regards to the life of the prophet, peace be upon him. So the people of thought if they learned what had happened to the people who had fought him, so they didn't want to like anger him. And they also had a temple that they really didn't want him to destroy. So he was actually very compassionate with the people of Ta'if, and they actually sent him a guide uh, that would direct him uh, near Mecca. Um, and I believe the specific place that was uh, that they actually visited was referred to as Al-Maghmas. And there, um, they actually captured and drove away many animals of the Quraysh, including 200 camels of Abdul Muttalib, who's the grandfather of the Prophet, peace be upon him. And um, eventually, um, the leader that was coming to attack Mecca sent uh, an emissary uh, to meet with the leader of the Quraysh, and he met with Abdul Muttalib. Um, and eventually, the leader who was coming to attack the Kaaba met with Abdul Muttalib and he asked him what he needs or what he wants. And Abdul Muttalib said that he wants his camels returned back to him. And the leader mentioned that he was, he was shocked and surprised that he didn't give him any word or like didn't try to convince him to spare the Kaaba because it was a religion of his forefathers. And um, he thought that he, he would value, you know, uh, the Kaaba and Abdul Muttalib responded to him by saying that he's the owner of the Kaaba and not the owner of the house of Allah and that the master of the house knows how to best protect the Kaaba and so when this leader responded to him saying that God can't protect the Kaaba from him Abdul Muttalib told him he can go and take his chance um, and so Abdul Muttalib was eventually given back his camels um, and he um, told his people to seek shelter um, and before the leader came into um, Mecca, Abdul Muttalib went to the Kaaba, held the metal door of it, and prayed for the victory against the attackers. Um, and then one of the people that were actually captured by the leader coming to attack the Kaaba whispered in one of uh, the ears of the elephant, telling them to return back to where you came from because you're entering the sacred city of Allah. And once he said that, the elephant was actually lowering itself and refused to enter, um, even as like the owners would strike it and try to force it to enter. And then whenever the elephant turned towards Yemen, it rose back quickly and was able to continue walking. But whenever it was forced to turn back towards Mecca by its owners, it actually knelt back down. And so during this time, flocks of birds were seen coming from the sea and they were carrying pebbles. When these pebbles fell on the attackers, they actually tore through the body and settled into the ground. And when the elephants saw this, most of them actually fled in panic and were not harmed. Um, and what was interesting was that no people actually instantly died uh, during this attack. Rather, they escaped in different directions and died painful deaths on their way back. And the leader that actually led them to Mecca was afflicted with a deadly disease, um, similar to a kind of poison that spread very slowly throughout the whole body before he passed away. Um, and the commentators continue by discussing how the first ayah mentions, have you not seen how your Lord dealt with the people of the elephant? Um, although like this event didn't take place when the prophet, peace be upon him, was like old and 
born and aware. Um, it played such an important role in the lives of those in Mecca that it pretty much seemed like he did. Um, and Ayah 3 mentions the birds and flock, which is referring to the birds that haven't been seen before that were sent by Allah. Um, Ayah 4 mentions the stones of baked clay, the pebbles themselves didn't actually have any power, but it was Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala who created the high capability of having like power and explosion in them. Um, and then Ayah 5 mentions, and thus he turned them in, into an eaten up chaff. Usually, um, os for chaff is eaten or devoured by animals and it doesn't remain in the same state, which is what happened to these attackers. And so the conclusion that the commentators mention is that the Quraysh were given so much respect when all of Arabia witnessed that Allah destroyed these wannabe attackers um, because they came to the, the house of Allah or they tried um, attacking the house of Allah. Uh, the Quraysh were seen as people of God and custodians of the house of Allah. And similar to what we were speaking of last week, um, the Quraysh were highly respected and untouched wherever they went. Um, while like other tribes throughout Arabia feared robbers and such during like caravan travel, the Quraysh actually were able to travel freely. Um, and so the Surah invites the Quraysh to be grateful uh, to Allah and thank him for providing them with all of what they have. Okay, good. Uh, any questions about anything? Um, I think, to be quite honest, I've never um, read of the backstory of the like, people of the elephant. I was more so like, not shocked, but very interested to learn about it. So if we can like expand in any area that I mentioned, mm -hmm. that would be great because I, yeah, I just haven't heard of, of the yeah, story. Sure. I mean, most of it, uh, if not all of it, you've shared. But uh, one point that I think we discussed last time when we were talking about Surat Quraysh, uh, is that uh, the Quran positions itself at a specific moment in the whole history of the world, right? And then, and I think back then I mentioned one proof of that, one illustration of that, is the fact that it's coming in a very specific dialect of Arabic. Now we call that now we call that standard Arabic, right? Or articular, eloquent Arabic. But it is coming in a specific language, in a specific dialect of the language. So it was a dialect of the Bedouins of the Hijaz. And then with occasional historical references. So the ultimate references to the Prophet himself, peace be upon him. So like there are those ayahs throughout Surah uh, Al-Ahzab, where it literally says, Ya ayyuhan nabiyu, O Prophet. Whereas in other cases, it might just be saying, you know, say this, قُلْ, and it's in the singular, right? Or Surat Ad-Duha is addressing him in the singular without mentioning him, right? And, and so that aspect is important because the Quran is not merely a set of divinely sent down ideas. It's a real world thing. And this is one of those cases, this surah is one of those cases where it's especially illustrated because it's almost like the whole commentary is, is a period in history. Whereas if we're looking at Surah Al-Ahzab, same surah that I mentioned before, it's reference to the, the Battle of the Trench, um, 
but then it's also a reference to the wives of the Prophet, peace be upon him. Surah Ali Imran will have references to Mary and Jesus, peace be upon them at certain points. It'll talk about the Battle of Badr, it'll talk about the Battle of Uhud, but uh, a lot of it is talking about Iman and such. Here, the whole thing is seems to be about this period in history. But then uh, there are the principles in history. So here we have the conversation that Abdul Muttalib has where, where he's saying, okay, the owner of the house is going to take care of it whatever way he wants. And so there are certain things that Allah owns, and so they're on Allah to protect. So in a way, I don't have the responsibility of having to protect or defend Islam. That's, that's on Allah. I may need to protect or defend it for the sake of the iman of the people. But it's not on me to preserve Islam. But, uh, like I said, but it is on me to work to help develop and preserve the iman of people so those who might still be clapping. And so that's one lesson we can take from this. And then... When we get into the backstory, yeah, like, like uh, what you described, there's the events of the story, which is, again, this, this guy in modern-day Yemen. So you have the Himyarite kingdoms, which would literally be, it would be a kingdom, and then a general or someone else would, would stage a coup, take over. And then someone would overthrow that person. And religion-wise, it would literally seem to alternate. For a period of time, it's a Jewish kingdom. For a period of time, it's a Christian kingdom. For a period of time, it's an idol-worshiping kingdom. Uh, but of the Arabian Peninsula itself, the Quraysh were the masters of the Arabian Peninsula. <clears throat> and most of their strength came from the wealth of running the Kaaba. You know, keep your idols here and pay us and we'll take care of them. And much of their spiritual esteem or reputation also came from the Kaaba itself. Because everybody recognized this as a house built by Ibrahim al-Islam. And that also brings up the point that when the Prophet, peace be upon him, is calling them to Islam, the Quraysh was acting like he was calling them to a new religion, but he was actually calling them to their old religion. But they all believe they're descendants of Ismail. And they'll believe that the Kaaba was, was the house of Ibrahim, and that's what the Prophet, peace be upon him, was calling them back to. So he wasn't calling them to something foreign, he was calling them to something original in their history. And so, so they already had this esteem, and so naturally, other kings in the vicinity want to try to cash in on a piece of that. So you have this one king who makes this temple, this really elaborate temple, with the ultimate goal of trying to pull away some of the traffic that is going to Mecca for trade, not too far south to where he is. And even though it is south in terms of the peninsula, you have Africa right next door, like literally right next door. If you look at a map of like the, you know, the point of Africa extending in there. And, and, and then, you know, somebody, somebody from, the, from the Quraysh comes along, defiles it. And so that becomes like a declaration of war. And who knows, it could be one of those things where someone actually did that, or this guy just made up the story as an excuse to fight. Right? That's a common issue in the whole history of war, is that you're looking for an excuse to fight or to attack, so you set up a bogus attack against yourself. I'm going to come back to that in terms of 
conspiracy theories about this sura that are absurd, but they're still fun to talk about. But anyway, so so yeah, so then he decides he's going to go attack. He goes to the people of Taif, tries to get them, and yeah, you you, you brought up the good point that that's almost like a foreshadow of, of the life of the prophet peace be upon him. And he has this elephant that's that's seemingly unstoppable, and so everyone's terrified. And then he arrives to the to the Kaaba. The the Meccans hear that this is coming, so they all move out of town, you know, to like this there where they go for retreats, like literally next to town on the other side of the mountains. And then, as you pointed out, like the elephant refuses to move forward, and then these birds come out of nowhere and go on the attack. And so, uh, the elephant. I had a student uh, at Loyola near at the beginning of my career there who said that she was taught in her full time Islamic school, which was not your school, um, that the name of the elephant was Mahmoud. And she said, I can bring in the proof. I said, Okay, cool. And she brought in the Salam Journey videotape. I was like, Seriously, that's a harpoon is your proof? Anyway. So, yeah, I wouldn't teach that at my Islamic school. They only taught you true deen. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, so yeah, so so then as you point out, these birds came in. There's differences in readings in terms of how did they destroy the elephants? Were they just pelting them with this huge barrage of, of pellets, possibly? Uh, were they pelting them with some sickness that was in like their feces or something, possibly? I mean, sometimes people get caught up in those details, mm. missing the point that it's literally the swarm of little tiny birds you know, that are wiping out a whole army. And so there is at one level the fact that Allah Ta'ala controls everything, that everything is easy. And here we have a lesson of this army of humans and an elephant that are just wiped out by these little tiny birds. And so if Allah wants that to happen, it's going to happen. But if also if he doesn't want it to happen, it's not going to happen. So this is also a lesson uh, not just in the power of Allah, uh, it's even if it's just like you know some like E. coli in their feces that's being sent down to wipe out these these humans, that's even smaller than birds, you know, like like a pandemic. Um, so it's not just a lesson in the power of Allah, but it's also a lesson of the will of Allah that He does as He wills, uh, according to our calendar, whenever He wills. The default of all of it is good, and of course, then we know J.R.R. Tolkien steals this story. You know, at the end of the Lord of the Rings, because uh, that's when the you know the, all the birds come in and wipe out those elephants. Like total plagiarism. Anyway, so yeah, so those are some some of the big things. And but then what happens with the Quraysh after this happens? Their esteem rises even higher because it's like they're divinely protected. And then what happens is that you have the birth of the prophet, peace be upon him. So what should have happened is that their esteem should have risen even higher 40 years later when he's claiming to receive wahi, but they become their own worst enemies by rejecting him. So it's like they already are the masters of the terrain. This happens and they skyrocket. And then the prophet's born and should have gone even higher. But then they lead to their own destruction. Because that was even the point that Utbah, Utbah bin Rabi'ah makes, you know, like among the Quraysh when the Prophet is preaching, peace be upon him, there's, there's hawks and there's doves. The hawks are like Abu Jahl saying, let's get rid of him. And the doves are like Utbah who says, all right, look, you know, if we leave him alone, 
and he offends some other Arab tribe, they're going to get rid of him. Job is done. But if he wins, his success is our success because he's Quraysh. Mm-hmm. Right? That was the approach he suggested. Suggested, but all the hawks are like, you know, you're just being a coward. And so they didn't go with his approach. So then, so, would is it is it kind of like similar to like hypocrites? Like yeah, it's we- like yeah, it's uh, and and so he's he's trying to be so to speak reasonable. So it's like the inverse of a hypocrite, sort of, because he's with the Quraysh, he's with the enemy, he's with the coffers. Mm. and even you know he goes and listens to the crowd and comes back and says you know folks this is something like i've never heard before this is this is not just some poetry and and yeah he's trying to to be diplomatic but when they call him out he says i'm not a coward and so it's time to go to war he does go to war against yeah and so so this is one of the uh, examples of of a moment in history outside of the prophet, peace be upon him, that's an illustration of the divine will. Uh, another example is the beginning of Surah Rum, Surah 30, which it begins with saying, okay, the Romans have been defeated, but they're going to rise up. And, and there we also have a lesson that Allah Ta'ala reveals his will through history. One way he reveals his will is through scripture. Another way is through prophets, another way is through angels, another way is literally through the process of history. We call this, uh, one way we call it the days of Allah. The days of Allah refers to a number of things. And so yeah, because a lot of times people wonder why is this surah, like what's the point of the surah in the Quran? But it's, you know, it's revealing the will of Allah. The power of Allah is whatever he wants and the will of Allah is whenever uh, he wants or does not want. Yeah. yeah. And so this is also a lesson, you know, consistent with other stories like David and Goliath, you know, those in Jalut that how many times does like this little tiny army defeat a superior army? And the foundational strength that you have is actually your Iman. You still need weapons, you still need strategy, you still need tactics, but your primary strength is your Iman. You don't have that you're missing something mentioned something fundamental you're gonna say something yeah no just just going off of that i i think that statement could be applied to just you know general life um you know like there are certain things allah owns and like we were speaking about how like for example like people don't have a responsibility to protect islam we might have the responsibility to protect it for the sake of the man of the people but not to protect it all very similar like in life, like we don't have the responsibility to like make our world and society and even our lives like perfect. We do our part and mm-hmm. then the, you you leave the rest to God. I also think it's very interesting. We were talking about like the esteem of the, the Quraysh, like the fact that, you know, they should have had higher faith when the prophet peace be upon him came. It just shows like the design and the flaw of like the human being, like, mm-hmm. You know, you we have so much like faith in God, and it's similar to like growing up. I always used to hear, you know, like whenever you're having a hard time, you're like, "Oh Allah, if you just give me this, I promise, like I will never do this again." Allah gives it, you know, to a human, and you know, down the line they repeat that same behavior. And it's mm-hmm. like, yeah. so I, I was also just reflecting on that as I was reading the surah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and you, you reminded me that, okay, uh, and you, you mentioned this point that 
the um, so this event is looked at as this huge miraculous event. The actual gigantic miracle, you know, happens a couple of months later with the birth of the prophet peace on it. No one's paying attention to that at this moment. That's the big miracle. But yeah, back to your point is yeah, that's that's the the funny quirk about human nature. They see the prophet in front of him. They know of all the people who it could have been. It'd be him. His respect, his honesty, his generosity, his character, and everything. But they had these tragic flaws inside of them. Led them to say no. Eventually, many of them became Muslim. Right at the end of the story, they were uh, first they tortured the Muslims, and then went to war against the Muslims, and then. Um, and then I have a follow-up question. Um, I I like know obviously the Kaaba is like still maintained today. Uh, is it like still like lineage, like the family at the time of the Prophet peace be upon him passed it down to like generations, like leading to the present, or is it different families in Mecca? So one of the interesting stories is long before the Prophet peace be upon him, there was a family that had, that they were like the the key holders. Uh, you know, like uh, this is the case in Palestine also, right? So there's a famous case of the Church of the Holy Sepulchre in, in Palestine. It's a Muslim family that unlocks it and, and locks it, you know, every morning and night. And it's the Khaladi family. And they've been doing it for like 900 years. Right? Mm -hmm. And so before the Prophet, you see upon him, there's a family and a particular person who had the responsibility and ownership of that. And I think the Quraysh bought it from him for like a glass of wine. Something ridiculous, right? Uh, as far as now, it's probably just the Saudi kingdom. Mm -hmm. um, but those details, I don't know. I didn't uh, know as much more. And there's another part related to this that I was going to mention. And also like the bricks, it's been built and rebuilt numerous times throughout history. And as we know, it was rebuilt at the time of the Prophet, peace be upon him, because that's the famous story of, you know, putting the, his cloak on the ground and, put the, and he puts a black stone on it and then has everyone pick up a, a piece of the cloak. Uh, and that's also one of the signs of end time. It's someone like this African figure might be a leader. Someone's going to come and disassemble it. But there's also been wars where it's been damaged too. So when we speak of the, uh, like in Al-Baqarah and elsewhere, when we speak of this as a, sanct a sanctuary and a safe place, if in its history it's had destruction there, there's a famous case in 1979 where yeah. these guys stormed in, claiming that this guy with them is literally the Mahdi. And they held the whole place under lockdown, and eventually some French troopers came in and just started shooting everybody. Uh, if, if it's Allah's promising that this is a safe place, where's the safety? If we know there's been a history of violence there, or, you know, not a history of violence, but there have been moments of violence, what do you think? What, how can we reconcile those two points? I mean, the, like the general, like, kind of like direct answer I want to give you is the one I hear a lot from you. Like, if Allah wills, it'll happen. Um, okay. But so one way to read it is that Iman is safe there. 
go in there, your Iman is preserved there. Outside, maybe, maybe not. But there, Iman is preserved. Is that why and, a lot of people who visit will be consistent with their prayers or like usually the people who tend to end their daily lives miss like a few prayers or not be as consistent? Um, they tend to be the first ones up and waking people up for Fajr. Hit me. Yes. I mean, you know, just like when you have a couple of people together, it's like all their imams add together. Mm-hmm. So if it's a number of upright people, then they're all going to have like combined iman. So now imagine there, you know, super combined iman. Mm-hmm. And the simple point being that, uh, yeah, you'll have uh, a type of sakina in your heart of, of iman, you know. Uh, even though physically things might be potentially chaotic, because there is also the feeling of chaos there in contrast to Masjid Nabawi. You know, Medina is just like serene, where it's, you know, where Mecca, part of it is because you're surrounded by hills, it just has this feel of congestion and such. But Iman itself in those precincts is preserved. And it was weird when, when, when I was on Hajj, you know, Masha, this is now over 20 years ago. It would just be this strange feeling like this. It was like I would feel waves of tranquility just keep going on me over and over and over again. Mm. You know, it was really, really strange. Mm. And and yeah. So 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 essentially the point I'm making is don't confuse don't confuse that with worldly measurements. In the same way that if you look at the history of Islam, Omar is killed, Uthman is killed, Ali is killed, right? That looks like really bad, but Omar is going straight to paradise in our belief. Uthman is going straight to paradise in our belief. Ali is going straight to paradise in our belief. Yeah. So. That kind of follows the line of like, why why, does bad, why do bad things occur in the, this world? Like, a, you know, if there's like this like merciful God. But then at the same time, one thing I like always like try to reflect on is this life wasn't designed to be perfect. Like that's the one of the reasons right. why it's not it's not eternal um, because, you know, if it, if it was perfect, why wouldn't we live forever then? Yeah, is- this world is not paradise, you know. And that is especially a sentiment you find a struggle that a lot of suburban people have, you know. Like, why am I facing all this struggle? Because you're supposed to. Dying in this world is a lot of happy things, but it's also a lot of struggle too. Mm-hmm. And subhanAllah, I feel like in this world, we don't really value or we don't really like experience greatness without struggle. Like if, if everything is just like, like smooth sailing, it's like the human design was just like not meant to enjoy it. That's, uh, that's like the Matrix. Have you seen the Matrix I know. movies? I'm like, I feel like I've just... <laughs> thinking about that movie a lot and just like <laughs> philosophy class and yeah because that was the point that agent smith makes um in a lot of part of the first matrix movies like we made this system and it was perfect but then humans ruined it it's like you, you know, humans needed some conflict yeah. and all that yeah well no subhanallah the, the reason why i thought about it is because like i just reflected on like growing up like whenever i had summer vacation i was always extremely bored by august like nothing would entertain me um my mom would always be like a longer give me something to do i need something yeah <laughs> so 
on the wall. Cool. Anything else? Um, no, I think we covered all of the points that that I wanted okay. to. Sounds good, Noah. All right, so let me make sure we're good for next week. And I think we are, but just to make sure. Next week, well, we're already in February 10th, and we are good for next week, Inshallah. Inshallah. Okay, we're good. Subhanakallah. What do we like? All right, I'll let the Lord word you, and we'll continue next time, Inshallah.